0: Welcome everybody, my name is Mark Williams, I'm going to be leading the musical liturgy of the night. Um, You'll be hearing from several other people through the course of the night. Our basic uh, conversation tonight is going to be around the Christian practice of prayer as we're heading into, we're in ordinary time, not heading into it, we're firmly in it. And uh, we'll be talking about prayer tonight, so several of the songs that that I've tried to arrange and, and pick out tonight will highlight different aspects of that. Uh, The first song we did a few weeks ago, I think this is a good song for helping us to listen, uh, which is sort of an aspect of prayer we don't really spend a lot of time on.
1: I became aware of the ground on which my feet were planted And as your eyes were focused on the alphabet in your video screen I stood there and stared in disbelief He was speaking to you with my voice He was speaking to me by choosing letters with your eyebrows didn't have no choice and yet you had an attitude like that's just the way that it goes now started talking to you about the fish swimming in your aquarium but all the while I wanted to take away your pain said I owe you an apology and I owe you an apology For all the days I just let slide right through my hand. You are the woman with the strength of ten thousand men From the moment I saw your face I knew all my so-called troubles were nothing You put me in my place I knew right then I'd better start living for something Well, there ain't nobody in life That can keep your spirit down No one can keep you from changing What just ain't fair Susan, I owe you an apology Susan For all the days i just let slide right through my head You are the woman with the strength of ten thousand men And the words come ticking out And the words bring us together And the words come ticking out The words must keep you sane Susan, I owe you an apology Susan, I owe you an apology For all the days that just let slide right through my head together and the words come to get out and the words must keep me insane the words come to get out and the words bring us together and the words come to get out and the words must keep you sane and the words come to get out and the words bring us together Come take it out. The words must keep you sane.
2: Hi everybody, I'm Tim, and welcome to Emmaus Way. We're getting finally to the end of the summer here and nearing fall mode. Hey, big thanks to Mark. Uh, Wade uh, is uh, is down and out on his back again, and thank, and we're hoping this will not be, uh, I think a couple years ago, uh, he was out for a couple of, of months, so uh, anyway, he's, he's saying that's not the case. But Mark uh, grabbed the call to do uh, do music last minute this week and has done an amazing job. In fact, Mark, we're going to press you. Because we know you've got a CD release coming pretty soon, so hopefully we're getting near on that. So, uh, and thanks for doing that. The songs tonight, by the way, are. Um are really designed to kind of take us into different valences of prayer, uh, and uh, the kind of our theme for the next several weeks is thinking about ordinary time, the season of ordinary time, and mundane practices and you'll you 'll hear a bit more about that um, a few things that are coming up community wise just want to say this this is the time of year ma way is as uh, you kind of look around is a community that has lots of folks with connections to Duke and UNC uh, graduate students, people that are uh, kind of come into the community, uh, first jobs, whole range of things um, though i 've been excited there 's a few people that are are maybe somewhat similar to my age in our community as well, but we know that we're, we're, we're uh, transitory as well. But we want to, while you're here, in fact, we say this to folks that leave Emmaus Way and are going somewhere for a year or a couple years, is to get into a community and and hopefully they'll miss you, even if you're just there nine months or a year. And we would love for you to have that experience in Emmaus Way as well, that you are you're known here, and obviously our Sunday night gatherings are are central to what we do, but we also have a lot of different smaller groupings of a mass Way. There's several home groups that meet during the week. Uh, there's a pub group that meets on Thursday nights, so that's a group that tends to, to do theology, philosophy, life, and whatever. Uh, Dan, who's back behind me, is our pub group guru along with Dave here, so if you're interested in that, you can ask these guys. We usually meet at Bull McCabe's at 8-ish uh, on, on Thursday nights for that. Uh, home group-wise, I don't see Elizabeth tonight, but you can grab me if you're interested in that. Anytime during the evening and I can tell you a little bit more of how to get in contact if you're interested in being a part of a home group or, or checking one out in the next several weeks coming up next week um, in our worship gathering um, we're going to do a couple things. One is over the next several weeks you're going to hear a bit about our missional partnerships we have many partnerships that are a big part of kind of the activistic life of Emmaus Way. One of them is Durham Can which uh, Dave and and Dan lead which is a a local grassroots political organizing group that does a lot of justice work here in in Durham another is our host Reality Ministries. They're going to be in, in a couple of weeks. Uh, uh, Denise Bainham talked a little bit last week about um, about Antioch Builds Community, uh, but next week we're going to hear from, from Jim Thomas and maybe Gail, if we can talk her into that as well, uh, about uh, Africa Rising, which is an organization that... How, how old is Africa Rising now, Jim? What's... Eight years is a, a, a good a good guess. And they, they'll tell you a little bit more about that next week. But these are these are uh, communities and people that are dear to us and, and many of us participate in. And so you'll hear a good bit about those. Um, also next week in our worship gathering, we're going to do uh, a child dedication, uh, which is, uh, is always fun for us. It's a chance for us to remind ourselves that we're a, a community of adults and children as well. And uh, one of the things we're really committed to is the whole idea of raising kids and a, a sense of community so that when, even as the kids kind of come roaring in here at 6.30 tonight, the realization that they're not just looking for their parents, but are connecting with a whole broader sense of people that are a part of our community. So that's actually coming up. And then we also, uh, on Labor Day Sunday, which is I guess the Sunday of Labor Day weekend, which is the following Sunday, one of our traditions on holidays is to just do kind of a, a, a front porch hot potluck at the Jakeses and they live about uh, walking distance it's about four blocks from here on Watts Avenue, and we'll have information for that. But please, if you can, bring some food, food to share. We always have a bunch of food anyway, so it's not. if you're not in a situation where you can cook, uh, don't sweat that at all. We always have lots, tons of food, but uh, we'll just hang out. They have a big front porch and a couple of great rooms to hang out in, and so next Sunday, uh, or Sunday after that, we'll get out of here as fast as we can so we can spend some hours just kind of hanging out with each other. So if you're new, please feel really, invited to be a, a part of that. Uh, and again, we're just delighted that you're here. One of the things we say about Emmaus Way Is that we're a community that's committed to participating in God's redemptive work in this community, in the greater community. We don't so boldly say that we're leading that work or always know what it is. And so it's absolutely critical for us to gather and hear each other's voices. Uh, We know that each week you bring stories of frustration, of lament, stories of excitement, uh, ways that you've seen God at work. And so one of the things that you'll notice is that we do a dialogue every week where we gather around text with each other but we also hear each other's voices uh, a, a way of knowing that we're walking through God's work with a community of friends and so if you're new with us we certainly want to make sure that you feel welcome and 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 connect this community any way that you would would like to connect so we're delighted that you're with us
0: okay so as we as we sort of mentioned we're, we're talking about Amongst other things, tonight talking about prayer, and uh, so I feel like I should introduce this Bob Dylan song. First of all, if you look at your sheet, you'll see there's like 23 verses or something. I don't know how long <laughs> this. is <laughs> When I sent everything to Chelsea this week, it was like, oh man, she's gonna kill me. You know, there's so many verses and all this stuff. But um, we'll, 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 you know, just hang in there with us. You know, sing along when you can. Um, I want to explain why I chose this song out, though. I think. You know, sometimes when we, sometimes when we're talking about prayer, like we have the, um, we we certainly have the sense of praying for someone who needs healing and that kind of thing. But sometimes when we're praying for things like, I pray I get this job, I, I started to think about it at some point and say, well, that means that somebody else is not getting the job. So what does that mean exactly? Does it really mean that we're just asking God to be on our side instead of someone else's side? And so this song sort of came to mind as something that we can sort of ponder together. Um, to think of the ways that, especially this has sort of taken the the, the stance of an American singing this song. And uh, there have been a few different recorded versions of it, Dale and I were talking about how depending on who's singing the song and what version, it sort of carries a different color of meaning. But anyway, with God on our side.
1: My name, it is nothing My Egypt means less The country I come from Is called the Midwest I was taught and brought up there The laws to abide The land that I live in Has got on its side Oh, the history books tell it They tell it so well The cavalry's charged The Indians fell Cavalry's charged The Indians died Oh, the country was young then With God on its side And oh, the Spanish-American War had its day Civil War II Well, soon later we Closed out its fate The reason for fighting I never got straight But I learned to accept it Accept it with pride For you don't count the dead on your side when the second world they fry The Germans now too have got on their side Well I've learned to hate Russians all through my whole life If another was starts them we must fight To hate them, to fear them To run and to hide And accept it all bravely With God on my side Oh but now we've got a wish. Of chemical dust If fire them we're forced to Then fire them we must One push up the button And a shot the world And you never ask where God's on your side Through many dark hours I've been thinking about this That Jesus Christ Was betrayed by a kiss But I can't think for you have to decide whether Judas Iscariot had got on his side So now as I'm leaving I'm weary as hell and The confusion I Tell. The words fill my head and fall to the floor. If God's on our side, He'll stop.
0: do prayers of the people at this moment or not. Okay. One more song. Can you tell we really choreographed tonight? Folks? <laughs> this is really this isn't this is intelligent stuff here. So if um, so if if we've learned to hate Russians our whole life, I figured we should do a song by a Russian next. So that's what we're going to do. The song is called Laughing With. It's by Regina Spector. And uh, I'm a really big fan of her songwriting. I think you have to hang in there with this song a little bit. She's really quirky. So you have to sort of. um, I I don't know. This this song where she says, um, when we get to sort of the chorus area, you'll you'll hear what I mean as to why I thought this would be good with prayer.
1: No one laughs at God in a hospital. No one laughs at God in a war. No one's laughing at God when they're starving or freezing or so very poor. No one laughs at God when their airplane—sorry—no no one laughs at God when the doctor calls after some routine test. No one's laughing at God when it's gotten real late and their kid's not back from that party yet. No one laughs at God when the airplane starts to uncontrollably shake. No one's laughing at God when they see the one they love hand in hand with someone else they hope that they're mistaken. No one laughs at God when the cops knock on their door and they say we got some bad news, sir. No one's laughing at God when there's a famine, fire, or flood. But God can be found. At a cocktail party we'll listen to a good God-themed joker Or when the crazy say he hates us and they get so red on the head You think they're about to choke God can be funny When told he'll give you money if you just pray the right way Or when presented like a genie who does magic like a Or grass wishes like Jiminy Cricket and Santa Claus God can be so hilarious, ha ha No one laughs at God in a hospital No one laughs at God in a war No one's laughing at God when they lost all they got And they don't know what for No one laughs at God on the day they realize last sight they'll ever see Is a pair of hateful eyes No one's laughing at God when they're saying their goodbyes But God can be fun. At a cocktail party, or listening to a good God-themed joke, or, or when the crazy say he hates us and they get so red in the head you think they're about to choke. God can be funny, so he'll give you money if you just pray the right name. When presented like a genie, who does magic like a genie, or wishes like Jiminy Cricket and Santa Claus, God can be so hilarious, no one laughs at God. No one laughs at God in a war. No one laughs at God in a hospital. No one laughs at God in a war. No one's laughing at God in a hospital. No one's laughing at God in a war. No one's laughing at God when we're starving or freezing or so very poor. No one's laughing at God. No one's laughing at God. No one's laughing at God. We're all laughing.
3: us, we don't have uh, this printed out on in our bulletin today, but I really think it's just Tim wanting to show off his new iPad, um, <laughs> which I have to say, <laughs> and it came. I have to say, if it goes missing, don't look in the diaper bag, because that's where it'll be. Um, I'm going to go ahead and um, and start us with our This is our prayers of the people that we have done uh, from time to time here at Emmaus Way. Um, this is just a chance to... Um, to pray collectively, whether that is in silence or that is spoken word. Um, But we know that there is power um, when we pray together. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and lead us through a couple of um, different areas of of prayer. Um, And Hannah is going to be the... what is usually in italics, the collective person. Um, so she'll kind of be the voice um, before we have space to pray together. Um, so listen for times where um, we pray in silence and times where um, we, I ask for, for voices and things like that. In peace we pray to you, Lord God. This is a time of silence that we lift up our prayers. Now that we've stilled our hearts and lifted our voice, or, our uh, thoughts in silence to the Lord, um, I'm going to go through a couple of different uh, areas. Um, and after Hannah um, says the kind of general prayer, feel free to um, chime in some specifics. For all people in their daily life and work, for our families,
4: friends, and neighbors, and for all those who are alone.
3: for this community, the nation, and the world,
4: for all who work for justice, freedom, and peace,
3: for the just and proper use of your creation,
4: For the victims of hunger, fear, injustice, and oppression.
3: For all who are in danger, sorrow, or any kind of trouble. For those who
4: minister to the sick, the friendless, and the needy.
3: For the peace and the unity of the Church of God.
4: For all who proclaim the gospel and all who seek the truth.
3: For the special needs and concerns of this congregation. At this time, if there's anything specific that you want to voice um, out loud.
2: Very aware that so many folks here are in transition, uh, uh, coming back from the summer or starting new programs, new jobs, all of those things. We pray that as a, a community we might be responsive to those needs as well as uh, people who have a sense of great hope in on new paths. Lord,
5: I pray as you begins this graduate program that you would help MD to figure out a new schedule and.
6: guide them to develop relationships with their children.
3: Hear our prayers, O Lord.
4: For your mercy is great.
3: And the people said, Amen.
2: Is our tradition before we kind of start our dialogue this evening. We want to give you a chance to stand up, uh, offer the peace of Christ to people who are around you. If you're around somebody you don't know, introduce yourself to them. And uh, also it's a good opportunity to grab some coffee or a snack and I'll give us a shout in about two minutes to, to pull us back together. So feel free to stand up and, and greet each other. Well, Mark, thank you tonight. That was a great start. Uh, thinking about some different directions that prayer goes and yeah you know, Bob Dylan is so subtle. I mean you just never really go know where he 's coming from in a song, do you <laughs> Actually, this was kind of an all in the family night musically because we uh, started with Peter Himmelman, who is uh, uh, bob dylan 's son in law talk about having a, a challenging job description uh, but uh, but anyway, uh, thank you for. For, uh, for leading tonight and we look forward to confession and absolution and the rest of kind of our musical liturgy this evening and again it's, it's great to see everybody kind of as our community kind of recollects at the end of, end of a summer of travel for many folks and uh, so it's good to be back and I know we can kind of hear school off in the distance for many so hopefully you're off to a good transition and, and Dan I was really thankful that you prayed for our school teachers. We have have, uh, some folks that, uh, uh, many in this community that are part of that, and it's what a privilege they have. Um, so tonight, one of the things we're doing is we want to start a series, just a, several weeks, three or four weeks, on this notion of ordinary time. Uh, uh, you guys know that we're in the season of ordinary time. Wade pointed this out. Um, Carol Baker, uh, Dale, our drummer's wife, did this amazing painting for us. Uh, we commissioned a couple of years ago that's something that we could look at every week and remind us of uh, of ordinary time. And so if you're thinking about the liturgical season, we're in the big green um, uh, left side there, which is the largest, uh, largest season, and in some ways the most uh, overlooked. Uh, but uh, a bit about that in a moment. But one of the things I was thinking about this week is that uh, I, I think it's just natural for people to um, to live looking for the extraordinary. I mean, we you know, we live for those incredible moments of of victory of insight, of honor, adoration. I mean, there's no better feeling than when somebody comes up to you and says oh, you really did this well. Uh, you are a phenomenal person. You're the smartest person in the room. You're the best employee in the room. And I know some of you guys who are in the business world, I mean, you hear that probably, what, every day, every hour, every week? Uh, no, I mean, it's it's, it's rare. It's extraordinary. And, and, um, and, and we live for those moments. When we are recognized, we live in, for those moments. I mean, there's nothing I like more than a cheesy film that ends with a redemptive moment where the person who has been stepped on so many. I mean, Sunday nights are almost made for watching that kind of film, where where the person who's been stepped on for two hours and twenty nine minutes has this incredible moment of redemption at the very end, and they get to say what they wanted to say, or people realize that they're really smart, or they're really beautiful, or they're better at this. And uh, we live for those moments, but they're rare. It's not how life typically typically works. And and even as we look at the church calendar, I think it's actually wonderfully balanced that ordinary time is the is the the largest season, it's the, the most common season. Uh, and and one of the things I think that we also realize is that sometimes it's not the extraordinary that, that really drives our lives. Um, if you ask people, talk about a relationship, a time that they're incredibly in love with somebody or a marriage that's gone on for 30 years or 35 years, uh, if you ask people in that setting, they say, tell us what was really, what's really great in your relationship, Often the answer doesn't come with um, just some incredible moment, an incredible trip, usually it's the mundane intimacies. It's the the stuff of shared tasks and shared lives and your kids do something absolutely crazy and you look at each other and kind of go, whew, we're in this together so to speak. Uh, uh, And and so many times what's really meaningful in our lives is uh, the mundane. Uh, This weekend you guys know that I'm a, a major J.R.R. Tolkien geek. I, I, I will to confess to how many times I've read Lord of the Rings. But we also have a rule in our family that you're not allowed to see the film until you've read the book. And uh, so uh, Kendall was a latecomer. She's an incredible reader, but she just had never read The Lord of the Rings. And so this poor kid has had to walk out of the room with that film on all the time for the last, what, Eight years, nine years—it's been absolutely brutal, and she's been faithful. She's our our most incredible rule follower. So this was the weekend that we watched the Lord of the Rings together, and so uh, Kendall and I just dug in uh, about Friday, and we just cranked—I mean, the extended version of of all three films. And and I was—and one of the things that I'm I'm drawn to is I just love hobbits. I mean, how could you not love these creatures who smoke too much? Much, they drink too much. They, you know, even in the greatest moment of calamity, they're thinking of food and and uh, and the simple things. And 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 the I was thinking, there's this image of there's these two hobbits, Mary and Pippin, sitting in the ruin of war. They're in a ruined city. They've almost been killed many times, and there's nothing more exciting to them than the fact that they found some roast pork and some really good tobacco, and they're just smoking, eating the pork, and and at one point the the. Ground and wizard uh, Gandalf looks at them and says. Hobbits, I mean, what in the world? I mean these creatures who just love to eat, and in some ways, I, I think that Tolkien did something beautiful there of saying, maybe the most incredible, the most magical creatures, and at the very you know, end there 's this dramatic moment where the king is being crowned and, and people are all the nobility of the world is gathered, but the the whole world, so to speak, bows down to these four smoking, drinking uh, small pleasure loving hobbits, so to speak and it's Tolkien's kind of way of saying the most mundane, the simple things are sometimes the most beautiful, they're the most powerful, and and Jesus really did something similar, is that when, when Jesus said, okay, i got to get people to worship after I'm gone, and I need them to do something that would be really significant, I, I need this to be incredibly significant, so maybe what I'll do is I will bless... Um, gold or or weapons grade plutonium or something they'll never see very often i mean jesus didn't do that did he i mean jesus took the most common elements Bread, the thing that they made every day. Wine, which was the staple in their meals. Uh, and said, when you take these things, bread and wine, when you eat and drink, do these in remembrance of me. These will be your moments of prayer and worship. And then the rite of baptism uh, centers around the lifeblood of, of a Middle Eastern community, which is water. So Jesus is thinking the same way, that there's something incredibly Significant in things that are simple, and things that are mundane. Now, as we think about prayer, in many ways, that tension between the extraordinary and the ordinary, the fantastic and the mundane, kind of comes together again. Um, I have a, a friend whose uh, his name is Phil Anderson, who's been my spiritual director for almost 15 years now and a spiritual director is really a relationship, uh, someone who, who basically guides my prayer life. I see him once a month and the contact point in our meetings is what am I praying about? What am I hearing? How am I hearing the voice of God? And sometimes that's you know, I drive to Greensboro to meet with him, and I sometimes I'm making that drive, and I kind of go, I'm not sure what I'm going to say. There's been no burning bushes. There have been no cataclysms. I, I prayed for world peace, but I heard that there was a world war still going on. I mean, it, you know, I'm still kind of thinking in that mode, um, but one of the things that he said to me, and I met him after I'd taken a sabbatical, which was a prayer sabbatical. This was 15 years ago. Mimi and I, Keenan and Kendall, uh, got three months to live on the Outer Banks, and i I did this ancient ritual of prayer that uh, if any of you kind of grew up Catholic or familiar with the Jesuits, it was a a Jesuit prayer ritual called the Spiritual Exercises. It was one of the most dramatic moments of my life. It was absolutely incredible. But as Phil began to talk to me about praying, he kept saying, Tim, here's the problem. You've had an incredible experience and we're glad that you've had an incredible experience. But you keep looking for that incredible experience every day. You keep looking at the the time when there's... There will be 90 minutes for prayer and meditation and journaling and poetry writing or whatever you might do. And you know what? I don't know about your schedule. It never happens for me. That time doesn't seem to exist very often. Um, He said, and and the essential part of of learning how to pray is learning how to pray in the midst of an incredibly busy life. If what you're trying to do as a simple practice doesn't work when you have five appointments, a handful of phone calls, a sick kid at home, and and relatives that are mad at you, if, if it doesn't work during that time, it's probably never going to work. And so in some ways, as we talk about simple and mundane practices tonight, let's keep that in mind, this idea that when we talk about the practice of prayer, whatever prayer is, that it it, it be something that works in the midst of crazy lives, a simple practice. So here's a couple questions for you. I'd love for you to kind of shout out some thoughts on this. And and I've got a, there's a, a, a positive and a negative side to this question. Feel free to just jump in on either side of it. But here's a couple thoughts. What do you find beautiful about prayer? What have been experiences to you that you find beautiful about prayer? And then the flip side of that is, what do you find problematic or difficult about prayer? Thoughts on that? I think I'm
7: one of the issues is thinking that
8: there's one right way to pray, like say, you know, taking an hour and a half Day every day to pray. You need to sit down in a room and pray to God. And how you don't even realize that like and for me it's all been a struggle with that prayer can help with a lot of different things and that you need to be open to believe
2: that so you can communicate with God Yeah, I think that's true, Vanessa. How many of you guys just out of curiosity were nurtured in an environment where there was a really specific way of prayer that you were taught to pray? Half of us, yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's challenging because sometimes we, we have this template and it might not match who we are. Yeah.
9: So what, what, what's also fun is uh, in some uh, churches, we're taught that we don't have a specific way of pray. We're, we're Protestants. We don't have these sets of rituals. So we do, actually, but we pretend that it's not. We pretend it's always extempore. We haven't prepared anything. It's just We just start talking
7: and like God's going to inspire us. As if that's not a way to pray. <laughs> that doesn't, like, you know,
9: have a whole lot of conventions of its own. So it's kind of crazy because you kind of, particularly if that's model for you in the public, um, you know, now you're trying to pray to God and you're like, oh, okay, so I'm going to sit here and these words just come from where and what. And, and then when you read scripture and you're like, this is not how, like, the children of Israel pray. And it's not how. Most Christians have prayed through our time. I mean, we need all the structure and support because this is hard it's not easy and, and so they're kind of the method of well you know we clear away all the ritual and we'll just you know just just ask some God and we'll just show up and we'll be like seeing our friend for coffee well i don't know, maybe a few people have those relationships, but they've sure messed it up with everyone else
2: yeah i I grew up in a you guys have heard this. Many times I grew up in a very rural Southern Baptist church that would have said, if you said we have a liturgy, people there would have said, no, we're real believers. We don't do that kind of copy scripted kind of stuff. Uh, and I would laugh that every time we prayed over the offering, there was this procession of four ushers that came down the aisle, and they had this like little sidestep they did at the end, almost in unison, and always the back left corner prayed. So you would kind of go, dad's going to praise the back left corner this time, you know, and, and, and the prayer was almost always the same words, you know, and it was, you know, we were a King James English kind of a church, So it was always words that no one in my country church would have ever used, except if you're like the back left corner guy, you know. <laughs> and it was a guy, by the way. There were no back left corner women coming down the aisle. And and, and so we, there are these forms of organization. And interestingly, skipping way ahead, I think one of the things, and maybe one of the beauty of liturgy that we've loved here, whether we do it musically or in spoken word, is sometimes I think as, as part of our culture, Culture, we think we need to invent things and be brilliant in the invention of those things. And sometimes it's wonderful to rely on the work of others because it allows us to think. So that's a great point. Other things that people find either beautiful or problematic uh, in, in terms of prayer. Jimbo. Well, I, I think
3: prayer is a conversation. And um, I'm, I'm pretty much okay with the speaking part. It's the listening part that I'm with. And...
5: Um, I have a, a, a dear friend in Kenya, a woman who works with Amber Horizon. You'll probably hear about her next week. Who tends to talk really softly sometimes So it's, she has this really soft way of talking, and at least half the time, I'm going, I'm, I'm leaning over, you know, and, and trying to listen to her and what she's saying, or I'm, I'm trying to figure out what exactly she said. That's kind of the way I feel in prayer. When I'm thinking, what did you say? Or did you say something? Or did I just imagine you were mumbling? Or are you are you just being quiet, like like in a counseling session where, where the counselor says, so "How does that make you feel?" And, <laughs> and you're sort of having rub your
2: shin a little bit when you say that, Jim. <laughs> <laughs>
7: yeah, yeah.
5: So and so I have trouble, of course, hearing, and then I also have trouble with people who have no trouble hearing. Um, know exactly what God and what they are to do. Yeah. So Jim,
2: you know, to kind of get into some depths of deep theology here, uh, we'll go the path of Seinfeld. Are you trying to say that God is a low talker and you just... <laughs> <laughs> and if, that might be true. That actually might be an article somewhere. Uh, one more person. The things that are beautiful or difficult about prayer for you. Yeah, trigger.
5: Um. I right, got on a limb here, uh, in a way. I was raised um, very, very traditional, fundamentalist Baptist type background, where the idea of spiritual gifts and things like that, those all ended with the apostles. But oddly enough, in God's sense of humor, in my twenties, I found myself around a bunch of Pentecostals and or I knew it, I was dating a Pentecostal girl that thought that was all weird, but I liked her, so I started going to her church and stuff, and you could see a lot of these people would be speaking in tongues, and I always thought that was a little bizarre and made up, and honestly, I got to a point and talked to a lot of people and stuff like that where I theoretically accepted that actually as a legitimate possible gift that some people get, but I'd always wondered what it, like what was that like then, how do people actually do that, and, I almost spoke in tongues twice in my life, um, in just the most mundane things. I wasn't like praying for four hours or anything like that, but just in the strangest situations, and I almost almost did it, and I feel like God did that to show me what it was like, because I'd always wondered. And the closest thing that it felt like was almost that sense, you know that verse talks about like the Spirit utters things that you don't, you know, you not know how to say, but it, there's that sense that, at least for some people, I don't know what everyone speaks in tongues, but just that idea that sometimes you don't, you don't know what to say even. But there's just something in here, and it's just interesting to see that there's even that type of prayer that some people have. You see it mostly in obviously particular traditions, but that God can give some people that gift to when they don't even know what to say. They can still enter into something and ramble out who knows what. But I, I think there's. Still something to that. I think a lot of people fake us up and make stuff up and convert attrition, but I also think that there is that type of prayer that some people actually have. And I think that's a pretty fascinating beautiful gift, even if it is, as Paul said, the least of the gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, and is often over-imphasize that it's the most. But even if they said it's the least, it was still something. And sure. There's still something beautiful
2: and I'd be willing to say that the, the left corner guy in my Baptist tradition every now and then made some stuff up. You know? and, and, and so to some degree, Trigger, you, you raise this enigma for us that's, that's, that's maybe gift rather than burden, is that prayer is really different. It's different than their their traditions of prayer, uh, and and we should be careful not to scoff at certain traditions because uh, all of a sudden, the more languages that one sees uh, physical, spoken, whatever, the more that God becomes a grander reality in that. Have a text for us tonight, and this is not the one that you would expect to hear when we're talking about prayer, but, but I, I, one of the reasons I've chosen this is the idea of running a flight and return of resistance and receptivity. A lot of the grand narratives of the Bible have that theme. Somebody's running away from something, somebody who's finally running back towards something, uh, someone who is open to something, but but at one point they were incredibly resistant to it. I would suggest that that grand theme that's found throughout all the Bible has a lot to say about prayer. So um, Dave is going to read what might be a familiar text for you. It's in Genesis 32 and it's it's part of the story of Jacob who most of you guys know was quite the scoundrel um a man who who uh, truly did so many despicable things, sometimes with the help of family, sometimes not. But one of the things, and and, and um, if you'll look at this, um, at the very bottom of your text, I gave you a little bit of an overview of kind of the meta story of Jacob. And if you were to kind of follow this, you go down the left column, And up the right column. And to some degree, this grand story is organized around a journey away from. This is Jacob running from his home, fleeing. There's a grand moment in a place called Bethel where he literally sees the stairway to heaven. And in the midst of there, there are what are uh, tragic words, so to speak. He says, surely God was in this place and I didn't know it. Um, But on the return journey, um, he is returning to Bethel. It becomes very clear that he needs to go back to the place that he's run from. And essentially in the story, this other kind of uh, dramatic part of of the story, the, the wrestling with God, is in parallel to Bethel, where he was near the presence of God but didn't know it. And now he's deeply present to God, but this time he knows it. So Dave is going to give that a read for us.
10: From Genesis 32. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man Then the man said Let me go for it is daybreak but Jacob replied I will not let you go unless you bless me The man the man asked him What is your name Jacob he answered Then the man said Your name will no longer be Jacob but Israel because you have struggled with God and with human beings and have overcome Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon."
2: Thanks, Dave. Isn't it interesting? I mean, in this grand, and obviously, I think we did a 10-week series on the story of Jacob, and we're just getting a little taste of it tonight. But it's really interesting that in one mode, he is departing. He is leaving. He has has, uh, abused his brother Esau, taken his blessing. He is on the run. And interestingly, throughout all of his journey away, he is constantly told that he's blessed. You are blessed by God. You have God's blessing, but he never thinks that he has this. And in fact, uh, when he when he's with his um, his uncle Laban and he's preparing to go out on his own, he wants to take a lot of livestock, which would be basically emptying the the, the bank account in our culture. Um, he comes up with this kind of voodoo form of animal husbandry where he gets animals to mate, and what is it sticks or something that makes like the striped animals uh, more prevalent. And he had claimed. Kind of like flipping the coin I get the striped animals dibs on them and and he's constantly you see this man who's constantly trying to maneuver God he's trying to to because he assumes that he's not going to be blessed and so he needs to come up with some really good schemes and so in his mind even though he's been told that he's blessed by God constantly in his mind it's always his cleverness it's always his stuff that makes him a wealthy man so here he is right before he's going to face his brother, who has every reason to kill him. is incredibly wealthy in terms of wives, children, livestock, and then he has this this moment of wrestling with God. Uh, And and at this point, uh, God is not a staircase anymore. God is physically present to him. And one of the best descriptions I've heard of this is, um, is maybe somebody essentially just saying, You know, damn it, God, stay away, stay away, stay away, stay away. You can't come near me. You can't come near me. And ultimately, this wrestling is not uh, a man picking a fight. But, uh, you know, we all have a friend who refuses to be hugged, who refuses to be loved. You could tell that friend, you are an incredibly special person. You're loved by us. You're loved by others. You're loved by God. And that person will say to you, absolutely no way. And if you could, maybe in your imagination... With that person, one of the things that you might want to do is literally just grab them, clench them, hug them, and say, I'm not letting go until you realize that you are absolutely loved. Um, I have dear friends who, who, um, Adopted um, a child who had been held at gunpoint used as a pawn by his his birth father uh, was i mean completely abused in so many ways and there'll be times literally when in school or otherwise where he just goes crazy he gets Furious, He gets uncontrollable. and, and it, you know years of therapy, one of the things that they learned that they needed to, to do with, with this son, and, and I mean even when he was 12, 13, 14, 16 and now 18 was literally just grab him and hold him. And and, and uh, my friend Doug is 6'7", but his wife is really small. And there are times when she's all of 5'2", has to grab this 18-year-old boy and clench him and hold him and just speak into his ear, we love you. You are loved by us. You, there's nothing you can do to be not loved by us. And ultimately, that technique calms him. and And, and, and ultimately, he realizes that he's loved. I mean, he's been told that he was unlovely. He's been, you know, thrown out of communities. He has been uh, abused by a family that should have loved him, but he realizes that he's loved. And in some ways, this is the very thing that's happening in the Jacob story, is that finally this man who has been on the run is being grabbed, perhaps even tackled by God, and told that he is blessed. He is loved. He is known by God. And isn't it interesting that some of the greatest writers of spirituality, Henry Nouwen would be one, who would say, if you said, tell me about the spiritual life, tell me about prayer, he would say, one of the answers that that I think is a brilliant answer to this is that prayer and the spiritual life is a movement from hostility to hospitality. I mean, we're trained to live as hostile people, right? To compete with each other, to figure out who's the smartest, who's the best athlete, who's more normal, who's more abnormal. Whatever you might want to say, we've been trained to be competitors. To some degree, we all have that sense of coming into a new room and sizing people up and saying, where do I fit in this? That's part of the nurturing of our culture. But in some ways, there's a whole different way of living. It's not living as hostile people, but people. People are hospitable to the presence of others. And now one would say that perhaps one of the best ways to understand prayer is simple divine hospitality. Uh, Rather than being hostile, which I I love the song of laughing at God to some degree, is being receptive to the presence of God, even if God is a low talker or a slow talker in the sense of like 400, 500 years of the Israelites and they don't hear much from them. No matter what, there's this idea that truly being people of prayer is understanding that we are trying to be hospitable to the presence of God. And in some ways, that's the Jacob story. God was always present, but Jacob never tended to hear God's voice until he got in a mode of demanding, even saying, I won't let you leave until you bless me. And finally, in that posture, Jacob hears the voice of God. So couple things on this. For us as a community, you as a person, as a a group of friends, what are things that we can do to be hospitable to the voice of God rather than thinking about prayer as a technique because this trigger is pointed out. There's a lot of techniques that work and and, and beautiful historic techniques, words that have been written and fashioned for thousands of years. Uh, I don't know that we have to invent prayer But perhaps the most incredible and most important part of our practice of prayer is putting ourselves in the posture of hospitality to be able to hear God's voice. It's no secret that for us, the center of our worship gathering is the Eucharist table, this act of hospitality. And, you know, if if you've never done a communion, Dan will lead us into it in a little bit. We do it in kind of a loud, rowdy, communicating, touching, embracing kind of way in the sense that we understand that there's something incredibly hospitable happens at the communion table, if we remember each other's stories, if we remember each other's tears, if we are able to, we understand that somehow this is a, a, a discipline that's even more significant when it's done as a community of people. But let me turn that, in kind of closing today, turn that back to you to let a couple of you say aloud what can, What do you do? What can we do? What do people do that, that make us more hospitable to the voice of God? And, and, and perhaps Perhaps there's a hidden warning in that as well is that, and I lament this, that so many times Christianity comes in forms where we work so hard to define who's in and who's out and who is and who's not that in some ways the dramatic dance, the most dominant song is a song of exclusion and then all of a sudden we need to do an act of spiritual discipline that's inclusive. Uh, and inclusive to God's presence, and the switch is really difficult. And so to some degree, our, our inclusivities, our receptivities are central to being praying people. So a couple people, thoughts on that, things that, that help us be receptive to God's voice. Or things that you do. And I need a good one for driving, because I'm willing to say really quickly, I am not receptive to God's voice. I, I want to be the Lord of highway justice out there, <laughs> bringing, I want to smoke people in terms of, uh, I wish I had divine powers of destruction when people cut me off, but yeah, how do we become loving, receptive? Okay. <laughs> I don't know about driving, but
3: um, I feel like first you have to learn kind of what your own voice sounds like, and learn the biases of your own voice, and places where you know that you are going to tend to be more hospitable or you're going to be more harsh um, to know your own story well enough to be able to differentiate between that and perhaps God's voice. Not that they can't be sometimes the same or sound the same, but that you will at least
2: be able to recognize. Yeah, You know, one of the best, I think it's a great point, Amy, one of the things that so many uh, writers and people who are gifted in prayer say is pray the way you can pray. I mean, pray the way, start with who you are. And so many times I find this, that people will say, I can't pray. And I'm really quick to say, you probably are telling me that there is a technique or something that you can't do. Or perhaps you're angry enough to not want to pray. And that's, that, that in itself might be a prayer. Uh, but so many times uh, we realize that prayer is not something we do but even more so it's a posture that we have before God and so one of the things and I'll hear people talk about well I can't pray but I'm constantly having people over and I love cooking for people and I love including people at our table and I love hearing their stories and hearing their voices and I'm quick to say that sounds like a prayer life to me I've had others uh, who said you know I can't pray I can't sit down and pray I can't do this you know. but you know after I run every day for 45 to 50 minutes I have such a sense of clarity of what's going on in my life and, and so many times you need to say your physical exercise is a spiritual discipline for you and I think that's one of the things that Amy's saying is we've got to pray in the voice that we've been given to, to then being pushed to hear other voices Absolute, others, it's somebody else maybe one. yeah. I'm not doing a lot of
8: driving right now but sometimes when I, I was doing it more regularly I would um, pick a scripture verse that I wanted to memorize and, you know, write it on an index card or something. And then um, particularly, you know, stopped at a red light or something like that. I could refer to it and work at memorizing it while I was, was driving. Maybe you home. need
2: to bring your index cards to me and put them in my car because I have a feeling that you need them less than me. <laughs> uh,
8: no, I, mean, I, I need them too. But, you know, there's something very personal about picking which verses. And I... I've come to the thought that it's very... I don't like ever picking verses for somebody else because I had a spiritual director pick one for me one time that she thought would be comforting, and it was actually terrifying for me, so you don't know how somebody else is going to take it. But um, but I don't know. that, that those, those things, probably, that probably helped me a little bit with judgmentalism on the road. The other thing that's helped me is Sometimes when somebody just does something stupid, I have realize that I am so much more gracious and forgiving when I do something stupid. You know, and I think, oh, well, you know, I didn't mean to. You know, and I think, well, maybe I should treat them like that. You
7: know?
2: I think that's my problem. I just never do anything dumb. And so <laughs> thanks a lot. No, I mean, in, in incredibly how vulnerable even, even our anger it's one of the things that people forget that the thing that makes you angry is often a profound sense of your own story and a starting point. So many times we've made forbidden some of the most profound acts of prayer. And you know, there's several, half the Psalter is R or PG 13 in terms of the, the level of, of violence and anger in those. And so perhaps we might need a wider voice on this. Well, Thank you guys for that. We will continue with this conversation about simple practices. We're going to look at something that's really simple uh, next week, scripture reading, uh, because we all just read it and understand exactly what's in there, right? Uh, But but we'll continue with that. Uh, Mark and Dale are going to, and I want to remind you of this. This is a common part of our worship template, to do a song of confession. And a song of absolution. And I think most of you get this. But I, don't, I want to remind you, and it, I'm hearkening back to Andrew's words, is that one of the things that we try to do every week is create music that lets you confess. And lets you hear that you're loved by God. And so many times, I don't know if, if you're like me, it's very hard to find words in those veins. It's hard for me to confess because I am stupid enough to think that I never do anything stupid sometimes. Or or I'm so overwhelmed with guilt with other things that I can't get past them and they wake me up in the middle of the night. And and so one of the things that is that part of our worship gathering is a time where There's words provided, music provided, where you can live in a posture of confession and then also live in a posture of absolution. And we always say this, uh, this fall we're going to be much more faithful about getting our art space and prayer space back as a part of our our Sunday evening things. But if if you want to stand up, if you want to sit out, if you want to be outside of the circle during this, feel free. If you want to confess and hear absolution by singing, uh, please feel free to do that. But but enjoy the gift of of these kind of acts of the living liturgy tonight, and then Dan will will invite us to the table.
0: Do we have any Polish Americans here? Anybody with Polish heritage? Okay. Seeing none, I will explain this song. (laughs) So uh, this is a song called Casimir Pulaski Day, and uh, if you were a Polish American, you would... um, you know, this guy, Casimir Pulaski, is in the state of Illinois. They celebrate this day in uh, March. I think it's the first Monday in March. And the year that this song uh, is, that the songwriter is talking about, it happened to fall on a Monday that year. This is a story song by a guy named Sufyan Stevens. I like his writing a lot. And it's the story of a, a, a woman that he knows. We don't really know the backstory exactly. They seem to have been involved in some way, a friendship that, you know, Maybe was like, at one point, maybe going another direction and it wasn't really sure. And she ends up dying of bone cancer. And this is his story that he writes about her and about their life and about uh, what he experienced from God by knowing her. I really like the last two verses. Okay, I want to highlight those. He says, All the glory that the Lord has made and the complications when I see his face in the morning, in the window, all the glory when he took our place, but he took my shoulders and he shook my face, and he takes, and he takes, and he takes. When I think about confession, it's a lot of times my favorite part of the service, which is why we have two confessional songs this week, because I get to choose. So. <laughs> so we have two confession songs this week. Um, the reason this one feels like confession to me is because this song entered my life at a moment where I needed to be able to hear those last two verses. It entered at a time where I needed to be able to say, yeah, this is what it feels like. It feels like God is just taking and taking and taking things away. And I had been raised in a faith tradition where that kind of sentiment was not allowed. And thinking that and feeling those feelings were um, foreign and, and were to be ignored or repressed in some way. So this song was a freeing thing for me. And I think that Sufyan is confessing uh, those kinds of feelings in this song.
1: Golden rock and the stone Things that brought you when I found
7: out you had cancer of death. Father
1: cried on the telephone and drove his car to the Navy
7: yard just to prove that he was sorry In the morning through the
1: window shade when the light pressed up against your shoulder blade And the complications you could do without When I kissed you on the mouth Tuesday night at the Bible study We lift our hands And pray over your body But nothing ever happens I remember at Michael's house In the living room When you kissed my neck And I almost touched your mouth In the morning At the top of the stairs When your father found out What we did that night The glory when you ran outside With your shirt tucked in and your shoes tight. All, All the glory that the Lord has made, and the complications when I see his face in no the morning. No. All the glory when he took our place, but he took my shoulder and he shook my face.
0: I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Not only am I going to ask you to stand, I'm going to ask you to sing with me as well. All right, some of you are going to know this song right off. Some of you won't, but we'll sing the first verse a couple times so you can join in and figure out how this is going to go. This is a song of confession to me because it's a song of lament and it's a song of confessing that we we are Asking God, we're pleading with Him that hard times would come no more.
1: Let us pause in life's pleasures and count its many tears while we all suffer sorrow with the poor. There's a song that will linger Pleasures and count its many tears while we all suck sorrow with the poor. There's a song that will linger forever in our ears. Oh, hard times come again no more. Tis the song, the sigh of the weary. Hard times, hard times, come again no more. How we tremble before Thee, have mercy we implore. Oh, hard times, come again no more. While we seek mirth and beauty and music light and gay, there are frail forms fainting at the door. Though their voices are silent, their pleading looks will say, Oh, hard times come again no more. Tis the song, the sigh of the weary. Hard times, hard times, come again no more. How we tremble before Thee, have mercy we implore. Oh, hard times, come again no more. Tis the song, the sigh of the weary. Hard times, hard times, come again no more. How we tremble before thee. Have mercy, we implore. Oh, hard times, come again no more. Oh, hard times, come again no more.
6: You can take a seat. Now, this may not be the most upheartening thing, but I think when we read through the lives of the saints, when we take a look at the the people who have lived the faith for thousands of years, we realize one thing pretty quickly offhand when it comes to prayer. The only way to begin to learn how to pray is to fail. In some sense, the place where we begin is the place of taking the risk. It's failing. It's learning that engaging in the practice of prayer is to begin to interact with a God who gives gifts. And you know what? You and I have not been trained very well on how to receive gifts. We've been trained to compete. We've been trained to try to do better than one another. We've been, try- we've been trained to try to carve out lives of our own but we've been very poorly trained on how to receive gifts. Tonight, as we come to the table, having interacted with prayer, we're reminded that the practice of prayer is in some sense living in the recognition that God is deeply invested in our world, that God is not far off, that God does not remain transcendent, out on God's own. But that God is deeply interactive with the world that we inhabit. That God is continually working to give good gifts here. As we come to the table, we receive those gifts. We take the body and blood of Christ, eating and drinking, recognizing that God in them gives grace to us. It's hard to see. Some of us are going to walk up to the table and fail, basically. But it's going to be the beginning. It's going to be the beginning of the reception of God's interaction with our world, of God breaking into our world, of God in Jesus Christ having reclaimed creation so that we can begin That process of once again walking with God in the cool of the day. At Emmaus Way, we celebrate an open table, meaning all of you are invited to come. We break bread for one another, handing it to one another, saying the body of Christ broken for you. We pour wine or juice for one another, saying the blood of Christ shed for you. And we do that interacting with one another, recognizing that God's interaction with the world is not about God somehow being on one person's side or one people's side, but that God's reclaiming of creation is in somehow over and above all of our attempts to say we've got it and you don't. But that God invites us into a restored community one larger than we could expect and one greater than we could imagine i invite you now to the table to receive the gift of god the grace of god into your life and into my life so that we might be instruments of that grace when we're done i'll invite us to leave this place with a benediction Leaving you with the peace of Christ. So listen for my voice when, uh, when we're done with communion, to come back. I invite you now to the table.
0: Amen. I would ask that you, uh, I would ask you stand with us too, and we will sing our absolution together. And as we finish that, you can go off to the table together. Please sing with me.
1: has my life
6: this place, head back to your ordinary lives, head back to the daily routines that you interact with, but head back knowing that the grace of God is present and that whether failing or somehow learning, the discipline of prayer can make us more aware that God is active in our lives. Go now
7: in the peace and grace of Christ. Amen.